Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. And welcome back to Health Matters, Dr. Ned Hope today, doctor, but joined by Dr. William Hazeltine, uh, who's written a very interesting book called The Family Guide to COVID, Answers and Questions and Answers for Parents, Grandparents, and Children. So um, may I call you Bill? Yes, you certainly may. Okay, well, Bill, uh, welcome to Health Matters Radio. Happy to be here. So uh, for our listeners who... Maybe you're not familiar with your name. Uh, you're somebody who's done a lot of groundbreaking work in the world of uh, human science and also the human genome. Maybe you could just give us a page of your of your background so our, our listeners get a sense of kind of how it is you become such an you've become such an authority as that you have. Well, thank you for uh, the opportunity, and uh, thank you to your listeners for being interested and. Uh, for me, the COVID epidemic is an apotheosis of my career in a very strange way. I would never have predicted that at this time of my life, I just turned 76, uh, I would be pretty much at the center of uh, a uh, global pandemic and uh, have something to, to offer. From the time I was very young, I knew I wanted to make a difference in medicine. And by the time I got to uh, be a graduate student, I realized it was through science. So my career first took me to fundamental science with great mentors. I had four Nobel Prize winners who were mentors. I uh, became a professor at Harvard working on uh, fundamental aspects of cancer biology, particularly interested in viruses that cause cancer. But that led me to suspect that viruses, uh, retroviruses might be involved in human disease. And after a couple of years of working in creating departments of uh, cancer research at Harvard, uh, HIV came along, and it turned out that uh, I'd made a correct guess that, uh, along with a few others, that HIV would be a retrovirus. And it was really one of the only people in the world prepared really to work on it in the very early days. And did a lot of work, realized that um, AIDS was going to be a problem that was going to be with us a long time, like cancer. We needed not just a sporadic response, we needed an institutional response. And so in addition to doing research and understanding the virus, coming up with a theory of combination chemotherapy for treatment of AIDS and helping develop some of the first drugs, I worked with uh, a lot of different people to help, uh, for example, founded AMFAR to get research started, lobbied Congress to get uh, money for research, worked with Princess Diana to... Uh, destigmatize um, uh, the whole problem. And in retrospect, there are a lot of similarities between uh, our responses to HIV and uh, COVID. It's like everything that happened with HIV happened to COVID only in a collapsed time frame. Uh, 
People denied the issues of HIV at our highest level, President Reagan, for about five years. Uh, research took off very quickly, but people were not prepared to think that AIDS was going to be a serious disease. In fact, there was a book written of all people by about Bob Redfield, the head of our CDC now, and me called The Myth of Heterosexual AIDS, to give you an idea of those wow. times. Wow. Um, so we did a lot of work on that, and a lot of that has really helped me understand people's reactions, reluctance, political considerations, wanting to shove everything under the carpet, uh, let the next guy take the burden. All those things were going on. And for HIV AIDS, it was a little bit different because it wasn't everybody. It was a, At first, it was gays and drug users, and it took a while for people to realize it was a lot more than that. Um, but through all that, science has done a wonderful job from the very beginning, just as with COVID. The one brilliant success with COVID is science, whether it's Chinese science or U.S. science. Chinese had sequenced the virus, look at he split, created vaccines, drugs are on the way, same in the West. It's just been an amazing scientific journey that is about to make a big difference and do it pretty quickly. But from the political and social point of view, it's been a total disaster uh, where we are. From there, I went into biotech and I created a number of companies. I think seven drugs are on the market that I've had a hand in creating. And that's taught me a lot about drug development vis-a-vis -vis COVID, and I've actually developed vaccines, and I actually created a company with a guy who created Moderna to make vaccines more efficient. We weren't successful, but he eventually has been successful. And so um, I have created new vaccines, new adjuvants, got them approved. Um, and so that's relevant. And for the last 15 years, I've been um, advising governments around the world on health system reform. And if one thing that COVID has made clear is we in the United States need to reform our public health system. We know we've needed to make our healthcare system more efficient, better for patients, more cost effective. We spend four times more than the rest of the world, but don't get very good results. Sort of a little bit better than the Dominican Republic, if you'll believe it. It's true on average. <laughs> right, right. That is sad to say we're like two standard deviations below the OECD. Yet we spend twice as much as the closest neighbor and four times as much as Singapore, which gets a lot better results. So I wrote a book called Affordable Excellence saying we could, we could get a lot better results for a lot less money. Um, and I've actually studied in another book called uh, World Class how a U.S. institution teaching research and medical care can reform itself from mediocre to being the best in the world. So it's not just about what government can do. It's what hospital systems and medical school systems uh, can do themselves. You know, you can't rely on the government for everything. It has to be some things. But we have to do each individual, each institution has to be the best they can be, too. And all of that is in very good preparation for trying to understand what COVID is, what can we do about it, what can we do to try to get the public to respond in a better way. And uh, I've been working like 17, 18 hours a day on trying to communicate my understanding in a way that's helpful to policymakers, the average man in the street with these books, uh, man and woman in the street, these books, uh, COVID, uh, the family guide to COVID, 
question and answers for parents, grandparents, and children. Right. And then another book, a COVID guide to back to school, same kind of thing. Um, so that's a brief. It's probably longer than you wanted. No, but no, it's a brief no, thing. no. I was I I very much appreciate all the detail because I think what it does is that it 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 it's well it's it's the very thing that I was looking for actually because what I wanted to do was I wanted to start our conversation really saying what 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 made me happy looking at the family guide to covid was the authority that that came in the language that you speak in in the in the book the the leadership that you're showing in the the text and the layout and the intention and so on it's just this, it's it's all the things that have been so missing in the national scene and so you've stepped in with this philanthropy uh, project it seems like I mean, this doesn't seem like a, a. This is not a way to make uh, Bill Hazelton no, any, 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 any more money. Every penny goes into the foundation that I've started. Right, right. So but, it's definitely not to make money. It's, the, it's the, you know, I'll tell you the lesson from this. Right. During HIV/AIDS, uh, I became a private advisor to Francois Mitterrand and helped them sort out some of their nasty uh, policy issues and people issues. Uh, but in the course of that, I made friends with a, uh, an artist named Nikki de Saint-Fall, who is one of their, it's a, she's an American, French-American artist who died a few years ago. But she wrote a book called Age, You Can't Catch a Cold Holding Hands, which was a model for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a model about, uh, you know, speaking to parents and their, their children. She wrote it for her grandchildren mm-hmm. uh, about age. And I really wrote this book for my grandchildren. Um, and it was she was a real inspiration for me, not only a great artist, but a great humanist mm. who understood that. And, and the way I got to meet her is a, a scientist friend of mine who said, look, I have this artist friend who's writing a book for kids about AIDS. You know a lot about AIDS. Maybe you should, you should get together. Right. And we became like the best of friends, and this has been a great inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. There's one other inspiration about the work I do. Um, you know, I really am interested in written an autobiography. And the whole point of that is to encourage kids to have a life in science. Mm-hmm. And I had two great mentors. First was an undergraduate mentor who was a fisherman of scientists. And it was just totally dedicated to educating people and trying to find people to be scientists. And I'm very, very indebted and grateful to him. But there was another later in my life, a man that I met who was totally remarkable. He was the president of India at the time. Abdul Kalam. Abdul Kalam came from the poorest of poor backgrounds. He was about five feet tall, a Muslim, and gay, and the president of India. <laughs> right. He's the man who gave the rocket program and their atomic bomb program. Wow. And he spent all of his time trying to get young Indians to be interested in science and technology. I can't tell you how many places he opened up. And what a wonderful human being he was. He was just a terrific educator. And he wrote about five or six books to inspire kids to become scientists. So I've written my autobiography for college kids and adults, but I'm writing another one for 10 to 15-year-old guys and girls to get them to be scientists too. So I've had a lot of good mentors, and I want to carry the torch as far as I can. Well, you're you're succeeding with me anyway. I want to let our listeners know that the this this book, the the Family Guide to COVID, is available on a website. Tell tell us about what a living ebook is, and you you sort of started this genre, and uh, so help our listeners understand, and also give us the website where they can actually go read this 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 uh, 
publication? Yeah, the first, it's, it's for free on the website. Right. It's www.williamhaseltine, H-A-S-E-L-T-I-N-E, dot com. Okay. If you go on there, you get the book for free. Right. If you go on Amazon, you can buy it for like a dollar. Right. Uh, but because of the power of the internet today and how fast COVID changes and our world changes, I came up with a new format I call a living ebook, which is you buy it once, you get a passcode. And we update it. We're already in the process of doing edition three of a family guide. We've already done edition two, which is how to enjoy the summer. We're now working on how to enjoy the winter. Mm, good. Uh, and they say. Um, so the idea that you can buy one book and have it continually updated, I think, is what the Internet allows. And that's the concept I call a living ebook. And we have uh, now three versions of it. Mm-hmm. We have the first one, which is the Family Guide to COVID, and it's in a, an undergoing edition three now. Edition two is already out. You know, you either get it for free and you get the password. By the way, the password is Ask Dr. Bill. <laughs> right. Uh, second book is also a living ebook. And then I'm writing a lot of things about COVID. I write about two, three, four pieces a day. And um, I find all the interesting journal articles and, and newspaper articles. And those are all put together in something, a COVID commentary, a chronicle of a plague year. That's also available on Amazon. And it's a compendium of all the things I've written up to September. And at the end of the year, it's going to be all the things I've written since from January to December. It's another living ebook, mm-hmm. And uh, it just will keep on going as long as I'm writing about COVID, mm-hmm. which hopefully will only be for maybe another year. And then hopefully we'll be on to some other, other topics. Uh huh. So, how, of course, we're at a, a, a unique pregnant moment now for our listeners who have just recently heard about the uh, Pfizer and the Moderna uh, vi- vaccines coming alive. What what give us your take on where things are and how do you feel like the the, the public information that we're getting um, is reasonably accurate? Can we do? Can you imagine that the uh, that the uh, uh, vaccine will be available to people in the spring. What do you have to say about the current situation vis-a-vis the vaccine? Well, the first thing is the situation with COVID in the United States is absolutely horrendous. Right. Uh, And it didn't have to be. One of the things that bothers me the most is that the Chinese showed us how to control this epidemic very early on. They had an epidemic like we had in New York City. And since April, there's been no COVID in China to speak of. All COVID has come in from outside, and they control it absolutely. So human beings can control COVID without drugs or vaccines. Right. The fact that we you know, in the Europe and the United States and South America and other parts of the world haven't is a disgrace to the human race. It shows how fragile and, and disorganized we are. The fact that it can be controlled and it's still being controlled in China, despite the rest of the world having a raging pandemic, to me is absolutely horrifying. It's understandable, but that doesn't make it any less horrifying, right. knowing what this does to people. Okay. Second of all, right now, a terrible moment because we're in an exponential growth phase, and we don't know where it's going to end. My guess, we could have 400,000 people every day getting infected, mm-hmm. and 4,000 people every day die. That's where we're headed, mm-hmm. if you want to know what I mean. Right. And we see no way with the current government conundrum and the horrible things that are happening in our national government. 
and some of our state governments still, to control it. It's just maddeningly out of control. Now, is there anything we could do? Yeah, there are some things we could do right away to put an end to this, to stop it. France is locked down and has stopped their trajectory. Cold. They were zooming up like we are, and now they've leveled off. In one week, two weeks, leveled off. We could do the same and drop. So, But I don't see that happening just yet. So what's happening with the vaccines? Well, the vaccines are working better than we thought. We don't know a lot about them yet. <laughs> They've been tested almost entirely in young people. And this vaccine kills mostly old people. I mean, this disease kills mostly old people. Right. And we don't know what's going to work in old people because vaccines stop working at about age 45. Mm. That's a surprise to most people, but that's how early vaccines stop working. And in order to protect yourself from flu, some people, people over 45, uh, need a quadruple dose for it to work at all. So will this be like that? We don't know yet. Is it really safe? We don't really know that yet because we haven't spent enough time. How long will it last? We don't know that yet. Nonetheless, the data that's come out look pretty good. And I think what's going to happen is the vaccine will be rolled out. But it's not going to save us this summer. You know, Tony Fauci said the Calvary is coming. And it's coming from science in a year or two. But in the meantime... The homestead may be burned down. The wagon trains may be in a trash. The fort may be overrun like Alamo and everybody dead inside. It's going to look like a burned out world three or four months from now. Okay, so the vaccine will slowly get rolled out. It takes a while for these vaccines to get rolled out. We are so disorganized in America. Think of testing is how vaccines are going to get out there. When the central government says it's off to the states, well, that's a recipe of disaster. Because some of the states say, yeah, it's up to me, the governor. Or other states say, oh, no, it's up to the counties or it's up to the municipalities. It's not even up to me. And what one municipality does for testing or vaccines, another one may be differently. It's going to be a, I won't use a swear word here, but it's going to be a disaster. Okay? Right, I got it's it. It's going to be a disaster right. rolling out these vaccines. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And And we have no confidence the way our leadership is going that people believe the leadership. Why believe a guy who's lied 20,000 times or more? Well, of course. Well, Donald Donald Trump is no no longer really relevant. He's relevant in the— Well, he is relevant. Believe me, he's relevant into the day he steps out of office. True. And he may be relevant for a lot of people. Uh, Look, people believe celebrities. He's the ultimate celebrity. Absolutely. And I understand that a lot of my fellow Americans have their faith and believe in him. Can't deny that any more than you can deny that 70% of people who were told they were going to die when their partner infected them with uh, HIV didn't use condoms. 70% didn't. So you have to understand where people's minds really are. And half of American people believe in this president. And we have to take that seriously. Right. He could make a big difference. I've heard people interview and say, if Donald Trump told me to wear a mask, I'd wear a mask. Wow. So I was yeah. hoping right. that after the election was over, he'd wake up and say, hey, guys, I really will try to help. But he hasn't. He's done everything opposite of what well, he's been playing. He's been playing golf. So he's been he's, 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 he's been so busy. That, that means that, yeah. He's, he's been busy. He's been busy. And, and at the golf, you know, it's, it's very trying and. Takes a lot of effort. So, 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 Bill, so, Bill, we need to take a. I forgive me, forgive me, but we need to take a break. 
We're talking to Bill Hazeltine. Um, we're looking, actually, we're trying to get to talking about the book, A Family Guide to COVID, and we're also uh, spending some time talking about many of other things that Bill has to do and has shared with us. So please stay with us. We'll be back with you in just a moment. So welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Nedhoek, joined today by Dr. William Hazelton, and we're talking about his book, A Family Guide to COVID, but but really we're talking about the whole situation. And Bill has been very generous so far, and, and keep being generous with us, Bill. You really are giving us the data that we're really hungry for. And, and uh, like I said, I when I... We, on this program, we've been reviewing and looking at, uh, at all the COVID literature that we can get our hands on. We've been making a point to try to share with our listeners the best parts of everything we can find. And, and, and so far, you, so far you're the best we've found in terms of the, the, the authority and the, the breadth of vision that you have for this topic. So, so please keep talking about the current status, if you would, and wh where you think things could go and what we, the you know, fellow citizens, you feel what we should be doing in, in addition to reading your book? Well, first of all, it's very, very generous of you. And any author uh, loves to hear what you just said. So thank you. Thank you very much uh, for speaking about the book and, uh, and understanding what we're trying to do with it. I was trying to carry on a tradition of my mentors and people I was uh, really close to in uh, trying to help people understand the current situation we're in and what they can do about it. Right. Uh, so everybody knows the U.S. is really going up in flames with COVID. And we can't see an end to it at present because we can't see half the country, at least, understanding what's happening to them. You just take the Dakotas, the worst in the entire world. When did you think that North and South Dakota would be the world hotspots for an infectious disease. And that's the reality. <laughs> right. The world hotspot right. is right now in terms of number of cases, number of hospitalizations, and number of deaths. Right. The world hotspot. So when that's happening, it tells you that this disease is really serious. Um, but what can you do? Well, Thanksgiving is coming up. And I just canceled Thanksgiving for almost everybody who was going to come because I don't want them to take the risk. I want to see them. I want to see my children. I want to see my grandchildren. It's a really important time for everybody, but it's too dangerous. And that's in New York where the danger is less than almost any other place in the country, New York and Connecticut. Mm -hmm. But it's too dangerous. So that's what I want people to understand. This isn't going to last forever, but while it lasts, you know, if, if this were the weather, we'd be in cyclone condition. What do you do with the cyclone? You go to the basement with your family and you protect them. I want everybody to listen. Say, it's your job to protect your family. That's your job in life. That is a human being's job, is to protect those they love. And you protect those they love by wearing masks, not social distancing, don't gather with other people, no matter what your age. You may not think you're going to die, but you may kill your grandpa. You may kill your grandmother or your mom or your neighbor. That's who you might kill by your behavior and going out and going to a party or going to a bar or meeting with people you don't know right now. This is a really terrible time. You have to assume that everybody you meet is infected because a lot of them are. Ten times more 
than the, you know, we're infecting about, a, my guess conservatively, is we're infecting about a million people a day in the United States. And that means because you're infectious for about 10 days, there are about 10 million people in our country spreading this disease around right now. Right. That means you're going to run into a lot of infected people. Well, you, you it, may be one of them. Well, it, yeah, of course. So it, 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 go ahead. That. Well, in your, in, in, in your book, in your book, you you break it down uh, in a very useful way. You start with the questions the kids ask us, questions that we ask ourselves. Then you get to situational awareness. So, so maybe you could we could we you yeah. could start with well, situ- the way I think, yeah. go ahead. The okay. way I think is pretty. I think people should think about it like the weather. You know, if it's a nice sunny day, you turn on. You know, you ask Alexa, you ask Siri, whoever you ask. Oh, yeah, it's a sunny day. Go out. No problem. That is a green zone where less than one in 100,000 people are infected. Then if there's a light rain, you put on some, you know, protective gear. You go out. You don't really bother. You may not do some things you would otherwise do. But that's sort of like five people per 100,000 infected. And New York is somewhere in that general vicinity now. Uh, Other places aren't. So then you get up to a heavy rainstorm where you're pretty careful where you go. And finally, you're in a cyclone. And a lot of parts of the United States are in a cyclone where you hunker down and you stay in your basement. And you dramatically limit what you do. And the way you know that is you look to see if you're in a green, yellow, orange, or red zone, which is by how many people per 100,000 are diagnosed that day, that week, as being infected. And then you multiply that number by five or 10 to understand how many people in your area are likely to be carrying the virus. Okay, so that is the way to think about the first part. Second part is, what's my susceptibility to disease? Did somebody in my family, are they overweight, like obesity? Half the people in the Midwest are obese, over a body mass index of 30, and 20% of the kids have a body mass index. So when they say, oh, we can only uh, let the virus roll and only protect those people who are especially sensitive, well, that's about half of America. If you just look at the numbers, 37% of Americans have a body mass index of over 30. Right. We're all sensitive. Okay? That's a huge chunk. So you can't do, can't protect one part of, can't protect 30% of the population. It's not just old people we're talking about. Second of all, do you have asthma? Does anybody have diabetes? Are you living with somebody who's old? That's just taking you reasonable. And third, if I'm going somewhere, sending my kid to school, going to work, going to a store, how careful are they? That's just situational awareness. And that's something everybody should have deep in their mind. Let me say the other thing, the biggest thing to watch out for is it took a while for us to understand that this virus is transmitted not just by droplets, it can hang in the air for four or five hours in an unventilated space and can infect you. If people are breathing out, even with a mask, most masks don't stop the virus. Those tiny particles stay in the air for four or five hours. The longer you're in a closed space with the more people, the more dangerous it is. So stay out of closed spaces with people you don't know. Because you are going to be breathing in, and it's getting into your nose, it's getting into your mouth, and it gets into your eyes, and it hangs in the air 
for a long time. You know, there are a lot of people who won't tell you that, but we know that for a fact for a long time for this virus. It is an aerosol. And if you want to know who knew it, there are presidents who knew it in January right. when he's talking to Bob Woodruff. Right. He said, this is spread through the air just by breathing. It's not only droplets. Right. So those are things I want people to understand, that if they go to places that are, and they have to for some reason, put on an N95 mask so the virus doesn't get in, and wear a face shield. And if you're going to travel, put on a hazmat outfit and wear gloves, a lot of gloves, and change the gloves as often as you would wash your hands. Wow. Do you think that's fanciful? No. If you're flying anywhere in the East and you're going toward China or any of those places, everybody on the plane is wearing a hazmat suit. Everybody's got an N95 mask, and half of them have face shields. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. how they fly in China. I have the pictures. Wow. We're not seeing that. Mm -hmm. We're not seeing how they're protecting themselves over there. Mm -hmm. But we should be doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. If you go on a public transportation, you should be wearing an N95 mask. You should have face shields. You should be wearing a hazmat suit. And you should have gloves if you're on public transportation. Mm -hmm. That's how bad it is. Mm -hmm. And people aren't doing that. They have no idea that that's what they should be doing. Well, exactly. And that's one of the, one of the things that's uh, one of our previous guests on this topic, uh, a guy named Dr. Stephen Quay, who wrote a book called Survival, COVID-19 Survival. And one of the things he he, he came up with or he, he re revealed was the idea of putting salt on a, on a mask and salt uh, was one of the ways of making the mask more effective because when the, the viral particles touches the surface of the mask, the if, if the salt has also got a little bit of soap in it, it the, the, the viral particles will be broken down by the salt. Apparently there's a there was some studies about that. Are you familiar yeah, with that? Well, I would be suspicious of that without looking at the studies. Okay. Well anyway. Uh, I anyway. don't think that everybody it's like trying to catch a bird by putting salt on his tail. Yeah, close enough to catch Put salt on the bird's tail, you got the bird. Right. right. Well, anyway, so, uh, anyway, I, what, I, I wouldn't put my face in that particular one. Well, anyway, it's, it's I would put my face in an N95 mask. Well, more than, more yeah. than putting salt on a uh, paper. Well, I, maybe it would work. Well, there's actually yeah. there's actually some, a great idea. There's actually yeah, some, there's good. actually some science on it that you could look about, but we won't try to try to solve that now. But the thing is, what you've done for us is you showed us and revealed to us what again, is one of the things that's completely missing in the public uh, discussion, which is the, the depth of care that it's going to take to get through this horrible period that we're, we're obviously just getting in the, in the beginning of here, not in terms of this yeah, winter. Let me just make, a, let me, let me make another point. Please. That there's been a study of doctors in hospitals and healthcare workers in hospitals of the infection rate when they're wearing a face shield or not wearing a face shield but wearing a hazmat outfit, gloves, and an N95 mask. And that face shield reduces transmission from low to zero. Wow. Well, so face shields are important. And by the way, kids like face shields. Okay. It's easier than a mask. Okay. I like it. Well, so the, but you, well, you kind of want them to do both, though. Is that it's what you're saying? You want them to do both. <laughs> right. Yeah. <coughs> you only do what? For kids, use the face shield. It's much easier for them. So let's let's talk. Let's stay with the. We're, now we're on to. We've been talking about situational awareness. Let's move on to protection and prevention. So we've talked some about that, but let's say okay. So 
uh, the, the family goes to the grocery store and they come back. They've, they've worn their mask in the grocery store. They come back. They wash their hands when they come back from the grocery store. Now, listening to you, you'd, I, I'd almost believe you'd say, well, you should probably take off your clothes. And and then launder those clothes before, and then change clothes when you got to your home. Uh, that's not practical. No, people aren't. No, I wouldn't say that. No. Oh, okay, I just was. There's no that that just going to a store is going to pick up enough virus. There is something I do want people to hear, though, that okay. they wouldn't have heard elsewhere, and that is the Chinese have discovered that the virus lives on the outside of frozen food packages. Wow. They had a new infection twice, actually, and it's happened in Australia too. That uh, that uh, that uh, infections happened when big stocks of frozen fish and other food are sent in from South America and other in uh, uh, COVID-infected areas, and they've infected the workers in the plants that have handled it, and then they've infected other people, and it's caused them to shut down whole cities. Wow. Dude. Millions of tests and shut down entire cities for or big chunks of cities uh, until they have it under control. So be careful of frozen food. I would uh, wash it off when you, when you get it. Grab it with your gloves. Wash it off with water uh, and maybe a little soap And before you handle the packages. Frozen food is not something people are thinking about. But the Chinese have issued directives about it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So now let me be clear: the Chinese, it isn't a single package; it's a whole bulk order that they know about. Right. But what can happen on a bulk order can happen on a shorter order, and all somebody has to do is breathe on the frozen food package, and that virus is going to live. Viruses can live in the cold for a long time, mm-hmm. frozen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, going on, we're just trying to move through the book here a little bit. Talk talk about what's important about the getting sick chapter is from your perspective. I mean, obviously it's all important, but is there something that, that stands out that we that the the public isn't likely to hear unless they hear it from you today? Well, the most important thing that everybody should have at home is two things. Almost everybody has a thermometer, but my guess is most people don't have a pulse oximeter. And if you're starting to get sick and feeling sick, the most important criteria of whether you should go to a hospital or not is your blood oxygen level. And it's a very simple little device. It costs like $10. You put it on your index finger and a kid too. And it tells you, do I have 97% oxygen, 98% oxygen, or 92% oxygen? Anything below about 94, you call your doctor and say, I think I got to go to the hospital. My chest doesn't feel good and my pulse oximeter is reading 94 or lower. That is a sign. Get yourself to the hospital. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Get a chest and see how serious your situation is. Okay. Because the moment your oxygen level saturation drops, you're in trouble. And you may not actually feel it. The thing about COVID, which is really weird from doctor's point of view, is a lot of people who have very low oxygen saturation feel fine. That's really anomalous. Normally, if you have low oxygen, you feel terrible. But for this disease, for some very odd reason, I don't think people have worked out, follow the pulse oximeter, not how you feel. So Mm -hmm. I would say everybody, every household should have a pulse oximeter. 
And those are available yes, obviously, I, obviously online somewhere. They're online or at every drugstore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. It's well, a little device. It's no bigger. It's smaller than a than a pack of matches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's big enough to put on your finger. It operates with like a AAA battery or smaller. Okay. All right. Well, we're. I'll, I'm. I'll definitely go get one. So you have one. Let me ask. You got a pulse oximeter at home? I don't have one. No. So it's time to get. You'll one. You'll have one tomorrow. Maybe tonight. Tonight. <laughs> you know, I just got a, about a, this week. I got a light cold. Yeah. And like everybody else, I'm worried. Hey, I got a cold. My goodness, what's going on here? Right. And then you have a runny nose. So what I did is I put my pulse oximeter on. Oh, 98% saturated, no problem. Good. Calm down. It's okay. You're going to be fine. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right? So, it's good for the positive and it's good for the negative. Right. If that had read 92, I would have been in the hospital. Right. I would have immediately gone to the hospital. Right. So... Looking out, I mean, we we we've said it's horrible and 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 so on, and of course we pretty much we all agree about that. Um, in your chapter on public health measures, you you there's a, there's the issue about the the home tests. Now, one of the things you just talked about with the pulsometer. So, is there anything else in the in the uh, in the home test area that we should be discussing? Yeah, there is. I think that the you know we're not set up like the Chinese to force everybody to stay at home right? in a whole city or province. We're just not set up that way. <laughs> China is. Right. Okay? But there is something we can do that we haven't done. Okay. That is, the test exists today, and the British just bought 2 billion of them, by the way, Okay. that allow somebody at home to test themselves, a pregnancy test. Ah. And you don't have to put the probe all the way into your nose you just rub the outside of the the inside of your nose down where you can reach it easily, and then put into a little solution, put a little drop of that solution onto a, pay, a little strip like a pregnancy test, and 15 minutes later you know if you're infectious or not. Uh-huh. That exists. It's just not been licensed for home use yet. Oh, but they should uh-huh. cost about 50 cents each. Right. My strategy is to say step one. Saturate the environment with this so people can test them and absolutely. Their, absolutely. Every three days, twice a week. Absolutely. Then you know who's contagious. Then right. the government steps in and does the second thing. Okay. We'll give you $500 a day to stay home with your family. Wow. And we'll make it impossible for you to get fired if your wife or husband is staying home with you and you're not infected. Mm hmm. You're still going to be treated as if you're exposed and got to stay home. If we did that, and of course you have to do some double checks before you get your money. There'll be cheaters that right. you give it to places, you give it to schools, you double check people before you give them the money. We could stop this in two or three months without the vaccine. It's a good interim measure. It's a measure we can put in place between now and when the vaccines are going to come online, which really won't be till summer or maybe fall, before they're generally available. And we still have some barriers. How long do they last, and are they safe? Mm-hmm. seems that they are going to be effective in stopping you from getting sick. But will they be tolerated by old people? Will they work for old people? Will they work for a long time? Are they really safe? What are the long-term side effects? All those we don't know. But let's assume they are coming, that they are ideal, they're not really going to be fully around 
for until the late summer is my guess. People say spring. I don't think so. Uh, you know, I know how hard it is to uh, make these things. I've made these vaccines, and they're not easy to make, especially these new ones. And then you've got to have it distributed in a way that's, you know, we somehow looks fair. But the way we're planning to do it, it's going to be like testing. It's a mess. So then we've got to straighten out that mess. So it may even be this time next year before we have a good vaccine program. No matter what the Biden administration does, it's going to take a lot of work to get our house in order from the mess it's in. So in the meantime, we have this other measure, which is kind of like what the Chinese did, but I call it COVID control, American style. Americans might respond to incentives to stay home if you pay them. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and the rapid test could identify people. And by the way, it has a second effect. Now the drugs are coming online. They're going to work only in the early phase of the disease. They're not going to work later when you're in the hospital. Be different kind of drugs. The ones that are going to work, like the new Lilly drug, the new uh, um, antibody drugs, they're only going to work very early in the disease. And to make them work early in the disease, you got to find people early in infection. And we're finding people late in infection. And by that time, the drugs don't work anymore. So it'll have a second benefit of opening up a whole window of preventive therapy, treating people so they never do get to the hospital. So eventually we'll have vaccines so you never get sick enough to go to the hospital. But in the meantime, we may we have some methods that if you are infected, we can stop you from getting sick with drugs. But you only know that if you test people early. So how far are we away, Bill, from, from being able to have those home tests? What, what, what's your guess? You know, Britain just ordered $2 billion. So we're just a decision away from having those drugs. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So they, those drugs. They, could, they, 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 they could be here in a month. Yeah, I mean, they could be. Yeah. Okay. These companies can make hundreds, can make, you know, a hundred million uh, a day if you want them to. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. So, well, that's important. That's something to look forward to, and also something for our listeners to sort of beat on the table about, and in terms of their anybody they can reach out to, in terms of their political representatives or whatever, they could say this is this, this home testing thing could be like a whole cause celeb. I would think because the yeah, you know, it, it should be. It's home testing coupled with homestay, paid homestay. Okay, so those are... One our, without the other. You need both. So those are those are our cries. Home testing, homestay. Okay, I, I'm, I'm looking for the, you know, the, the short, you know, the, 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 the lag, the, the line, lines to use as a, as a, the language to work it out. Sounds like so, you've been advertising. You've got the right line. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Bill... Uh, we've got just a couple more minutes here, and I don't, and I and I want to come back again to reminding our listeners that a lot of what you have put together in this philanthropy of yours is uh, available online. So let's go back again and and talk. And, uh, the, what I have in your book it says assesshorg forward slash covid family guide. That's another place to get this book, or is is the is the it is. It's, uh, yeah, there are two places is William. Hazeltine.com right. or accessh as A-C-C-E-S-S-H dot org. Right. Those are two places to get the COVID Family Guide and any of the other books that I've mentioned. Right. Uh, 
Amazon is another place to go. Right. Uh, uh, Barnes and Noble is another site that would have them. Okay. So these books are accessible. Uh, if you go on the websites that are my websites, they're free. You go to Amazon. I think a Family Guide is like a dollar, or so. maybe it's a little more expensive, but it's not much. It's, it's, it, uh, well, what I want our listeners to realize, and what I why I really want to beat the drum for this, is that the <clears throat> given the what we have been faced with in terms of this horrible political environment, this is this this book is such a a breath of fresh air, really, uh, Bill, uh, to. Well, to, to 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 have an authoritative guide. Now, this is <clears throat> first. The other thing I thought it was really well done in terms of it was written in large print, so that it both you could sit, you could. What what's fun? Uh, the cover of the book shows um, people holding masks, but it, it's a sort of book that you could sit in your lap and you could have your children there, and you could sort of show them the pictures. Part of the book has the beginning of the book has pictures for kids, so they could. They could both have the facts, but they could also and, have. A, and if you know my grandkids, you see their faces in the book. Exactly. So there's that. <laughs> there's that part, and then there's the, then there's the part that's got all the details of how people should behave and how they should uh, imagine themselves participating effectively and in, in, in a protected way in the world. So this is an incredible, uh, an incredible gift to the world, really, Bill. So how do you see the is is there any governmental organization grabbing up this and hoping and passing it out and through public health channels? Are you aware of anything of that type? No, I'm not. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, certainly, we give. You know, this book is at one level, what you describe, right? Uh, accessible, easy to read. But for those who want more detail, right? This is your guide to depth. Because for everything we describe, we give the references right. that allow you all the way down to what the scientists have actually discovered right. and the medical scientists have actually found. Well, and as we update it, keep it up to date so that it is really at one level, you can read it at multiple levels as a kid, as an adult, or as a guide to really go right down to where the research is. To understand how we know what we know. Well, <clears throat> now you in 1985 you testified before the United States Senate, and you you concluded your autobiography with this this line, which I want to read right now. This may be the worst epidemic to emerge. Now we're talking, and this is 1985, so we're talking about AIDS. This may be the worst epidemic to emerge from our ancestral past for many generations, but it's unlikely, given the current conditions, that it will be the last. So you've been prophetic, uh, Bill, and we certainly appreciate all that you've done. And I really deeply appreciate what you've done with this guide and also spending time with us today. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate your interest and uh, your support for what we're trying to do. Thank you. Okay. Be well now. You too.